0: Hi, welcome back to Of Bajor. In this one we're going to be discussing the next two episodes. You, we should note that um, A Man Alone was made as the second episode. Yeah. But when they aired it, they switched them around, so Past Prologue was aired first. But we're going to do it in production order and start with A uh, Man Alone. So, Roger, what would you think of
1: it? A Man Alone, I th- that episode was mostly about Odo. And it was kind of a... Uh... Crime drama, I guess. Maybe
0: this, when we discuss each episode, we should just give a little summary, just because a lot of people maybe they not they may not even know the episode, but they might not remember like them by title. So maybe we just like do a little. Okay. This is um the second episode. It had it's an Odo episode where a basically a Bajoran that Odo arrested comes back to DS Nine. Odo doesn't like it. Kind of makes it clear. And when Boomat said Bajoran is found dead, Odo it becomes the main suspect.
1: Yeah. So. Basically, Odo is accused of murder of this dude, this Bajoran dude, who he clearly didn't like, Ibudan, Ibudan. Okay. Yeah, Odo, I guess, got this dude arrested before, and he got sent to prison, so he had this grudge against Odo, and he comes back and gets murdered, so it looks like Odo did it, and then the rest of the episode unfolds.
0: Yeah, it's kind of the first we get of, like, what will become an occurring thing of basically
1: shapeshifter phobia, yeah, it's more of that space racism.
0: Well, later, I guess when the change comes in, we'll learn that the t- main term for us is like solid, you know, non-shapeshifters. And that solid fear of shapeshifters will be a recurring thing throughout the series.
1: And here it's it's played up quite a bit pretty soon in the series. And what, what ends up happening is the whole episode is focused on Odo. It offers a really good showcase for how Odo works, what he believes, how he thinks that his brand of justice exists outside of the law. There's there's a comment that he makes later in the episode where he says something like The people who are who currently make the rules, they're federation now, they used to be Cardassian, but yeah. what what I'm doing is justice. Yeah, do you have anything to say about just the, the episode in general?
0: I mean I think it's a kind of um a clear like second episode because they we are still kind of using it to set up stuff until i rewatched it, i kind of didn't i've forgotten that it was this episode not the pilot that they kind of the origin of jake and nog's relationship yeah because like i said where i read the novel i guess originally it was planned to be an emissary because like i said i read the novelization emissary which presumably was based on like you know an earlier draft that did have them meeting and i guess they decided they didn't have time for that so they moved it over to here and it's also introduces well reintroduces since she was on tng keiko and um she and o'brien's daughter molly yeah and we also get um rom's name which you know rom is obviously a very different character than he'll in this episode and i guess in the early season one looking back i think it's kind of like an arc he kind of slowly gets tra- changes like i think his voice is like the first to change like right now he like a more traditional like ferengi snarling kind of boy yeah and he's portrayed as like pretty stupid and yeah, it's, I feel like it's in season three that kind of like he become, you know, like the wrong we know.
1: Like an actual distinct character.
0: Yeah, and also where he gets – is kind of decent. Because I think – well, I guess I'm thinking of like that episode where he um stands up for – when Quark, you know, it's like saying no, Quark basically is like saying no, Nog can't join Starfleet and he kind of like stands up. They never explain the change, but I've always assumed that he's probably like been trying all his life to live like his brother and whatever Ferengi are supposed to live like. As he comes exposed to the Federation, he kind of begins finally realize, oh, I don't have to live like that. I can live like how I want. Yeah, it
1: seems like that happens to pretty much all the characters throughout the series where in in this episode, A Man Alone, about Odo... Odo is, is portrayed as kind of like he specifically says in this episode, yeah, I don't, I'll never understand the humanoid need for coupling, and yeah, he just seems to be really kind of kind of rigid, which is really funny if you think about it. He he's the he's the rigid guy despite being made of liquid and being able to change into whatever he wants. I, I wonder if that was like an intentional kind of joke oh, yeah. on the on the aspect of the writers or maybe. Maybe not, but it's a pretty funny kind of thing to think about.
0: Yeah, that is, like you said, like, it's interesting that Invo DS9 is, like, you know, obviously is, like, I think more than any of the like, holds the Federation of Criticism. They do kind of portray it as having, like, exposure of it having kind of, like, as a positive effect on all the – our non-Federation characters. Yeah. Like I said, I'm watching Voyager, and one thing I note that, like, though they have non-Federation characters in, like, Neelix and – Kess initially, it didn't really seem as as different as, like, Quark or Gareth because even though they're not Federation, they still seem to have the basic same philosophy and, like, views of the Federation. Like, they're not, like, you know, I think there's one episode where, where like, Neil is like, I want to leave a ship because you're going to go to something dangerous. And Janeway has to talk about, well, if you're going to stay here, you know, you're going to have to take risk. But other that they, like, they already seem like they could have been Federation members. Like, there's no thing, like, with Quark, you know, obviously with Quark's capitalism or Odo's latent fashion, which are both, like, very much, and Garrick's like, you know, being a spy who's killed and is still willing to kill, you know. All that's very ineffical to, like, Federation way of life. And so that makes it more interesting, like, the changes we see in them.
1: Yeah, to say just a tiny bit about Voyager, the fact that Kess and Neelix were so instantly palatable to the rest of the crew, the the fact that they were so instantly yeah. palatable to the viewers as kind of Federation member analogs, is just another reason why Voyager's just kind of weaker than the other two series. It's just, where was the conflict there? It was obviously designed to be the Maquis members, but even them, they, they were from the Federation, and they they still shared most of the same beliefs, so... The Maquis, they had by the time the Voyager pilot, they haven't even been a year old.
0: So it's not like it's some big thing that's stretching. I kind of feel like, why don't they just get some Romulans or something? Like, Yeah. You know, that would, again, the Marquis, like, you, know, you only been at War a year, so I don't feel like you would have been that. It's not like they've been up their whole lives fighting the Federation or anything.
1: Yeah, there's so many things they could have done differently.
0: Yeah, but... That's for our Voyager podcast. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of characters being different, like I was wrong, it's very kind of discerning for me to see Morn as like a member of like the lynch mob that wants to kill Odo.
1: Yeah, I didn't even notice that. That's that's crazy. Morn as a character later on, he clearly is not the kind of person who is like that. Or maybe he is. I don't know.
0: Well, I guess at the time, I was thinking he was just gonna be like an extra. So I think it's like a case, like I imagine if they had done the show, like, you know, once and had become kind of like known they probably wouldn't he wouldn't have been a lynch mob but yeah it is kind of like discerning now you know he's obviously based on norm and from cheers like i when i watched Cheers, like in the first season there's a episode where norm is like he's like homophobic and he's like afraid of, like, Cheers becoming a gay bar because one of Sam's old friends turns out to be gay. So it's kind of like, I guess it's kind of a similarity between two where we have them doing things like the first seasons where, that you know, we
1: would never... Where but, they end up being some kind of prejudiced person.
0: Yeah, and, like, kind of like a darker... I think it's well, even more established that they wouldn't have done, so... I guess I, you could say, I don't know, maybe Odo... Like, Morn was still new to Odo or still viewed Odo as, like, a cop, so, you know... Yeah, I mean, no, nobody
1: likes the cops. Yeah.
0: I also thought it was strange... You know, speaking of, like, Quark standing up for Odo, and I thought it was kind of, not that good, it's not interesting, they established it so early, like, the second episode, they established early that Odo, that Quark, has affection for Odo.
1: Yeah, I, I, I like that. It's it's nice that they had thought that far ahead, and maybe a, having a nemesis is not that much different than having a best friend, <laughs> you know? Yeah,
0: it reminds me of, um, did you ever read Watchmen?
1: I've seen the movie.
0: I forget if it was in the detail it was in the movie, but it was like when the comedian is killed, like one of the only people to be at his funeral is like this old supervillain foe of his. Okay, yeah, I can't big, bad. Like, you know, if you've been with enemies of a person, you feel some form of familiarity with them, even if it, your thing is primarily combative, I would think.
1: Yeah, it's just like how, how much you've interacted. It's like Twitter, you know? There's a lot of people I've interacted yeah. with on Twitter that I would consider, I don't know if we're friends, but we're, there's something.
0: Anyway, as for the main point, I do like the... Twist that he's a clone it was a clone that was killed you know I think that's you know kind of neat like sci-fi version of like you know a murder mystery like it's something that can only be done in like a sci-fi like a murder mystery as opposed to like any regular murder mystery
1: ibudan ends up not being the guy who's murdered anyway he it ends up being his clone
0: I guess he grew it with, well, yeah, Well, we see, like, I guess it must have, it took a couple of days for Bashir, it seems, for, to grow, like, a second clone. Yeah, they don't get as much inform-
1: information of a clone, but beyond, like, how it's possible and whatever. So it, it, it does turn out to be interesting that the guy who is behind the whole thing is Ibudan, and he's still alive, and still hates Odo, and he perpetrated the whole thing.
0: yeah. I don't think I noticed it because I I don't know I don't remember when I first saw this episode I don't remember if I had like read if I did if I knew how it ended or I had read like on Wikipedia or something like the ending but you know I was watching it with my parents uh, I was watching it with my hot supermodel girlfriend and she mentioned that um she thought it was gonna be the guy we see throughout the episode who's kind of like at the bar and stuff and kind of like he's the one who says who tells like that oh Odo's been oh, yeah, he told me that, oh, he was really scared of Odo. It seems like they were trying to set him up as a red herring. I guess that he was the murderer. Because he guessed Uh, he was the murderer. Oh, and apparently, according, from like, um... I read a Memory Alpha, I guess they said they were kind of considering making him, like, a recurring character. Like, I guess this guy who would kind of, like, stir up trouble.
1: I was thinking about this earlier when I was watching this this episode. How many people are supposed to be on this station? How big is it supposed to be? In the first episode, when the Enterprise is docked there, the, the Enterprise has got to be really big, right? And
0: yeah. You know, they're we models, obviously, so we so rarely see, like, have shots of them, like, where we can see, like, them walking, where we, like, see... Yeah, you know, we get a sense of scale of, like, you know, the starships and the space stations to, like, the human humans or humanoids, so it's like, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, imagine, like, maybe, like, the technical manuals, like, they ha- like they built them to scale, they have some idea of, like, but I guess it must be pretty big, because, you know, obviously, like you said, like, the Enterprise hangs on, and that's,
1: you know, pretty big. Yeah, the thing's got to be huge. It's got, like, what is it, deck, 50 decks or
0: something? I guess he might keep it vague just so they can have it, like, as full or not as, as they needed.
1: Yeah, you, you don't want to establish too early that it's tiny as hell, and then you've got nowhere to put your your rooms that you invent or your ore processing thing that you invent yeah. later on.
0: I did notice that these two episodes, they, I guess they are kind of linked in that they're Bajoran villains, which I guess is like kind of like, I think, the first, since, yeah, obviously there weren't any Bajoran villains in the pilot, I don't think any villains Bajorans had appeared in the
1: TNG episodes yet. Yeah, I guess it's just their way of establishing the fact that There are so many Bajorans around here, and you're... I mean, they're in the Bajoran system, so any given person that's going to be doing anything is more likely to be Bajoran than anything else.
0: Yeah. What do you think of Keiko? I guess since she introduced it, what do you think of Keiko Like on
1: her DS9? She doesn't change that much over the course of Deep Space Nine like the other characters do, and I guess you could argue that that makes her less interesting, but... I think it's kind of like Chief O'Brien, where Chief O'Brien doesn't change that much throughout the course of the series, but he's he's still one of the best characters. And I really like the fact that Keiko and Miles seem like some of the most stable characters, which I guess makes sense since they're married. I don't know if anyone else on the show is married. I guess Worf and Jadzia get married for a little while. It, I guess it makes sense for them to be just the same people throughout the whole time, because they're the yeah. ones who have a stable relationship and... And stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Now that you I'm thinking, like, is any of the ever, like, main characters on any of the Trek shows? Like, aside from, you know, as you said, like, briefly, Worf and Jadzia, I, or maybe, well, wait, when did um I guess Tom and Belena eventually get married on Voyager, I think towards the end.
1: Yeah. So there's Tom and Belana, and... Anyone else get any other marriages? I don't... Beverly think... Crusher was married to her husband. Oh, and, yeah. But, but yeah. she died, or he died. Yeah.
0: Oh, and I guess in the new and beyond, like, I guess, like, Sulu has, like, um, a husband, we saw
1: briefly. Yeah, but, it, yeah, there's there's not a lot of people in stable relationships. And I guess, I don't know if you could count Riker and Troy, but, I, yeah, I don't think you could really count that. Well, I guess
0: also, you know, because I think, like, that's a standard Trek, um you know, plot is, like, you know, they find, they fall in love with this mysterious new person. And obviously, you you can't do that if you're married. Or you could,
1: but you would have to, like... Yeah, I think later on doesn't doesn't O'Brien find himself attracted to someone?
0: I remember there's an episode where like there's an episode where he fight with the Cardassians, the free Cardassian woman, and he and I guess the Kardashian because they keep fighting, and I get they fan our Kardashian that's how they flirt, like by. You
1: know. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking about.
0: Yeah, and so she fought O'Brien was like flirting with her. Yeah, I don't think they ever did an episode where like O'Brien was like seriously tempted to like cheat on Keiko or anything.
1: Right. Yeah. That so that does make Keiko and Miles. Pretty unique in terms of Star Trek characters. Yeah.
0: they never explain how, because, like, Molly was, we saw Molly born in um, Next Generation in uh, the disaster episode. Right. Which was in season five, I think, which would have been, and obviously she's much older than, like, one. Because, like, season five was, obviously, DS9 season one was concurrent with um tng season six and she was born tng 65 so she should be like a year old but she's obviously much i mean obviously i understand you know because it's much easier to have her be a young kid than a baby yeah but it's like a, yeah i don't think they ever gave like because obviously with like alexander we assume. i
1: think it's just a classic instance of it's a tv show and they kind of just fudge some details to make it more interesting and no one wants to watch a baby cry
0: yeah i mean there was like some unseen episode like they got some
1: temporal thing and so she got aged a couple of years up <laughs> yeah like like happens later yeah what do you think of the school like looking at it now seems strange because there's not really much of a curriculum and it's a bunch of students of all different ages and all different cultures. And I guess they I guess her I guess Keiko's plan is to talk about Bajor or things that are happening on the station or things that they can all relate to. It it seems a little weird that there's so many different age groups and cultures that they're, they're just trying to make it work.
0: We rarely see them in class. We usually, only see them in class is when you know it's being ending or you know just a scene transition. Like usually, Cholos like, so be teaching a bit, and then some will, will enter. And
1: really, it's the the whole Keiko school thing. In this episode, it seems like a reason to give Keiko and Miles something to talk about, and a reason to introduce some conflict in the Jake Nog situation. Yeah, and I I really like the Jake Nog relationship as it unfolds for the rest of the series. I, I I like the fact that their attitude toward each other is kind of hesitant. Clearly, Nog is suspicious of Jake as a human, and Jake is suspicious of Nog as a Ferengi. And maybe Jake is culturally programmed to be more uh, tolerant than Nog, but. It even, it even seems like Jake knows that Nog wouldn't be the ideal friend, at least in his father's eyes, and yet they still, they still become friends anyway.
0: Yeah, that's part of why Jake kind of likes the friendship, because it's like, it's almost like kind of like how white like, girls go for like a bad boy and someone their parents doesn't like. The relationship is kind of like, almost like a, a bromance version of that, like where it's like. It initially it was partly because of their father's opposition to their friendship that, like, made them want to keep going at it.
1: Yeah, that's pretty – that's a cute idea, the forbidden bromance.
0: Yeah, and it's, like, I guess, like, for Jake, like, maybe, like, it is interesting, like, seeing, like – you know, like we said, he's not, like – he doesn't really seem like a rebel or anything. He looks like he – generally, he wants his father to, like, approve of him, and he, like – so I guess maybe, like, seeing, like, a Ferengi, like, you know, who he probably, like – he probably has some – I mean, he was on the Saratoga, so he probably has some familiarity with the various, like, you know, cultures and races of uh, – You know the Alpha Quadrant, so maybe it's like kind of oh a Ferengi, like yeah. You know they're kind of like you know have a ski. You know obviously they have like a skeevy
1: reputation. So one one thing I noticed in this episode was even more of the Doctor Bashir wants Jadzia thing, and he he continues to lay it on super thick. Almost to a point where it, like watching it, it kind of makes me uncomfortable. I'm like, is this how anyone would interact? This isn't how you, like, maybe it's how people get girls in the 24th century, but I, I don't know. if I don't know if that would work now. Maybe it's just, yeah. That- well,
0: I mean, like I said, I definitely feel like today, like Bashir would generate, like early season one, Bashir would definitely generate a lot of angry think pieces today. Yeah. I, yeah, I think he calms down. Like I said, I think in the next episode, he meets Garrett. And I kind of like, in a way, kind of get, meeting Garrett kind of gives himself, And he kind of helps he kind of gives him something other to do and another like relationship rather than just kind of just simply, you know, bone B- Jadzia.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: I guess this is the first episode where he's kind of like really important to the plot because obviously he's the one who figure out that the guy's not really dead.
1: Right. And he starts growing that clone. I don't know how he just. Picks up this stuff that this guy has, and the clone, another clone starts forming. I mean, maybe that's how this cloning gel works. Who knows? Yeah, I think
0: he said he did, like, he didn't mean to do it at first. It just, like, I don't know, I guess he was something happened. He was just, like, I guess maybe investigating, and then it started growing, and at first he wasn't sure what yeah so it's i guess like kind of convenient but i guess like you know to get the episode moving like i can accept it that that for like you know to get the episode because obviously that that's you know his his and his finding out how to out is it like the isn't what the episode about i did like i just wanted to go odo to odo like i did like how odo his reaction to being suspected, which is he's like like he doesn't really try and like hide it or anything or or not hide it i mean i just mean like this is how you downplay it like when he He's immediately like the only one who'd gotten in here would be would have been a shapeshifter. And that when Cisco says, "Oh, I I don't believe you did," Odo's like, "Yo, you just met me. How do you know I didn't do it?"
1: Yeah, I think that shows Odo's criminal insight. I think it shows Odo's uh, police instinct, where he's thought about the situation so much, and he's reached the conclusion on his own that from the way things look, the only person who would be The prime suspect would be him. And that just means that he's a good cop if he's actually thinking about that and he is willing to, I don't know about suspect himself, but admit that he is the prime suspect.
0: I guess it's still kind of like, you know, even though like obviously it would be better for him to have, you know, Jadzia and or Federation officials that find him innocent because then it's, you know, doesn't look like he just let himself off. Got himself off, so I think he would be more likely to accept it. Yeah, but he's still kind of like a little upset. I guess because he's still like kind of distrustful of them. I guess.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know if that. When does that go away? Does that go away? I mean, I think kind of more changes and
0: goes away. I think it kind of depends. Like, I think with. I think kind of soon, but then I think once the Dominion shows up and he, he finds
1: out his people are the rulers of it, I think the kag kind of comes back a bit. It seems like in this episode, Odo's character is a little. He seems highly distrustful of. The Federation, and he seems really kind of like much more irritable or upset than he seems to be, and even in the next few episodes in this yeah. in season one.
0: Well, I'm guessing like part of it is like you know, like the pre like you know the situation. I think is making him irritable.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Being accused of murder is probably not yeah. again, ideal. I
0: think it's like, you know, they just established his character. So, you know, he's still, you know, none of them are really quite the characters we know yet. Right. obviously A lot of them are closer to the ever, than
1: others. Exactly.
0: One thing also I thought they mentioned this episode, which I mean, I, I kind of, you know, they kind of like Odo still works as chief of security, even though he was chief of security under the Cardassians. Yeah. But, you know, and it's like, I feel like that's kind of like, you know, I accept it from a show, you know, like, you no, know, okay, that's a show because I like Odo, obviously – but it does seem weird to me. Like I feel like in real life, that like a situation where like you're the head, like you're you work as like as basically a police officer for like this regime, this regime that's oppressing the locals, and that once that regime gets withdraws, that you're still going to be allowed to like keep your
1: job. Like <laughs> yeah, that seems it, like,
0: very unlikely to me.
1: It doesn't really make that much sense, and all the Cardassian officers left and, I mean, I guess Quark stayed around and some of the Promenade shopkeepers stayed around, but... Yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't really make that much sense for Odo to stay. Yeah, just,
0: yeah it kind of because you say, like, oh, his, his um, you know, he was always justice. I kind of feel like how... Because we know that the Cardassian system wasn't justice, and I feel like there must have been tons of cases where they said, we want to get these Bajorans, you know, we want them ex... you know, we don't care whether... I guess they kind of do an episode later about this, you know, about where it turns out, you know, there are three he kind of left, but that kind of treated, like, you know, it was kind a kind of everything I mean, where it feels like this is like well how could he have not yeah I kind of like how how could he have functioned as, as a security as like chief of security for DA Space and not have been like you know participant to like you know you know miscarriages of justice and you know like you know show trials and like people just being you know a lot more like it seems like that would have happened a lot and it seems I kind of like wonder how he
1: especially considering the Cardassian system of justice which yeah. is entirely based on like a show fake trial. court yeah show yeah. trials where Someone is just condemned instantly and then put to death. Like, what is is that? What happened all the time on the Bajoran station? I mean, would Galca had listened to him,
0: like, or anything? And he had, I mean, I feel like maybe yet sometimes he would. At most, he would have sometimes been able to like you know do it. But I feel like the majority of times it would just have been like you know he would have had to like had done what they wanted. If they not, they would just you know fired him and replace him with someone who would.
1: Yeah. So that part that part doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Maybe maybe the explanation is something like. The Cardassians were there on Bajor, and they didn't want to completely admit to the fact that they were in control. So they, so they like pretended like they weren't in control by giving over the police power to some quasi-neutral third party. Yeah. Well,
0: also we know we do know Dukat. Like you know, in his eyes, Leo, you know, tried to be like was trying to be like a more try try more benevolence. And we do know it was from season, from the season two app that it was Ducat who appointed Odo.
1: Yeah, so maybe maybe they do actually say something about this later on.
0: Yeah, I know they do, but it's just, it seems weird. They seem to, like, you know, it have, have function in his jaw. I feel like, you know, there's no way he, you know, I feel like he must have been party to a lot more than, you know, it suggests on the show to a lot more, like, horrible things where, I mean, yeah, he obviously feels prepped of justice, but, like, I don't, obviously the Cardassians didn't.
1: So I just watched episode three. Or episode two, depending on which reading you're going into, whether it's the airing order or the Netflix order. And episode three is past prologue. And this episode is about a Bajoran extremist. He's a he's a terrorist, basically, like a an extremist anti-Cardassian who winds up on the station and then there's some sketchy stuff that happens with some Klingons.
0: Yeah, I think this is um I like this one. I a way, it is a better second ep than – I think Amanda Blone is mostly just Odo. This, it's kind of a showcase for Kira, but it also kind of like has effects on the whole – we get to see more about Bajor and Cardassian and the Federation. Like we get to learn more about how their three and their relationships. Like I like how pissed off Kira is at the beginning. Yeah. You know, that their – you know, Kardashian Cardassian ship is in, you know, Bajoran space firing at it. Like
1: she's like – Which makes sense. You know, what, are they, what would they be doing there?
0: Yeah, and also, I guess, you want Cardassians to be clear that this isn't their space anymore. They can't just come in. Especially, they can't just come in if they're going to attack Bajorans. Yeah. So, yeah, I did like that. I thought it was interesting. You know, it's also a good way, I guess, to get more about Kira. Like, this point in the series, she's kind of not very hot on the Federation and Bajor joining it.
1: Yeah, the first episode, she was super angry at Cisco, super angry that the federation was there at all or or that Bajor the idea of Bajor having to depend on the federation for anything and it was nice in this episode to see her sort of be like oh well actually maybe it wouldn't be the worst plan.
0: Yeah, she's like well we need them. Like that seems to be her like because of the wormhole. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's like I kind of said the idea that the Cardassians had they known about the wormhole, they would not have left.
1: Yeah, definitely. I, th- I thought it was cool that Garrick was the first person to speak in, in the episode. He, he has the first line.
0: That's what I was going to say. Like, you know, because I think the biggest long term, you know, this episode has on for DS9 is introducing Garrick. Probably not just one of the best characters in DS9 or one of the best characters in Star Trek, but I'd say one of the best characters in the Western canon.
1: Absolutely. He's, he's just such a complicated guy. And, I mean, he's obviously supposed to be a complicated guy, but I feel like Andrew Robinson, the actor behind Garrick, and just the setup of this dude who's, he's... They haven't established most of the main aspects of his character yet, but here they do they do set up pretty strongly that he's a spy for the Cardassians at least. And the, the circumstances of that are, are, of course, made unclear because, you know, you, you don't want to make that clear if you're a spy. Yeah. But he ends up helping the Federation later on the episode by drawing Bashir into the discussions with the Duras sisters,
0: yeah, I wonder how this was like. I guess a lot of this thing. I wonder how was this at first. You know, I wonder how people reacted to Garrick at first because I think you know, we're watching, with having no the series, and we know that Garrick is you know, but he has the sketchy moments at times, but he's ultimately like a good guy. And we know that he's going to like, you know, be an ally to our. So I'm kind of wondering, like, did people get that the very, or did people like kind of wonder, oh, is he going to like, is he, he's helping us now, or did they wonder, like, was he going to like eventually turn on them? You know, I think that'd be an interesting thing to.
1: Yeah, I, I assume that they wanted people to, yeah. to, to be uncertain. I guess that's the whole, the whole thing. And like you said, we've we're watching this again after having seen the whole thing, so we know what happens. But I feel like even in the middle of the series you still don't know exactly what he's going to do because... He ends up killing people or selling people out. Yeah. he I mean, usually it's villains he kills, I think. I don't think yeah. he ever kills a good guy,
0: except for when he, that episode, he were high on that weird Cardassian gas. Oh, yeah,
1: that was a pretty sweet
0: episode. Yeah. It's also interesting. He's, like, different, he's different from pretty much all the Cardassians we've met, especially up to this point, and maybe even afterwards. I don't know if we meet any.
1: Yeah. I think one of the things that Star Trek tends to do is it tends to do a lot of kind of uh, stereotyping it, it, does, it does some kind of broad painting with the races where you'll have the race, the alien race, and they'll have a culture that's pretty uniform and almost all of the people in that race tend to be kind of the same person. And it makes sense to a certain degree to... To illustrate that? Like if you were doing like one show about like – if you had one alien
0: race, then I think, yeah, you could like do – it would to be – you could take a lot of effort to like, you know, establish various subcultures and stuff. But yeah, if you're going to like – like Star Trek and I like think a lot where you have like dozens of alien races, then yeah, it's going to like – you know, it helps simplify things for both the writers and the audience if they can say, OK, all Cleons, you know, they're all warriors obsessed with honor. All Romulans are sneaky. You know, all Vulcans are logical and all – Ferengi are greedy.
1: Yeah, it just it's it's just easier for everybody. But again, that's one of the great things about this show is that since you get to spend so much time with the Bajorans, the Cardassians and the Ferengi, you get to you actually do end up meeting some of them that are different than others. And of course, like you just said, Garrick is one of those. Garrick, he's not the sort of super authoritarian, distrustful kind of mean person that all the other Cardassians seem to be, and it's nice. Yeah,
0: because I think we talked about, like, you know, in the first two episodes, the pilot and and the ever app, it's like, you know, Bashir is pretty much, pretty much all he's done so far is, like, you know, be really horny for Jadzia, you know, and occasionally, you know, he does, like, a medical... And I think, like, it does really bring in his relationship with Garrick, does really, like, I think help bring him into focus and also give him something other than that to do.
1: Yeah, it is is great. I really like the fact that they established their relationship so early, and it ends up evolving later on. But it's still kind of like this, it stays this uncomfortable... I'm very naive, so I didn't get this until, like, I didn't
0: realize it until, like, you know, I read it. But it's, like, Garrick seems to be read as, like, kind of gay or at least bi. Which would make sense because I understand, like, a lot of spies have been gay or bi, you know, like...
1: Yeah, to... Just just to further their interests.
0: Yeah. But it also... It's, like, when he... I remember when he meets him here. The way he, like, puts his hands on Bashir's shoulders. You know, it's kind of interesting then, you know, because we say up for now, like, Bashir has been, like, really determined, like, about hitting on Jadzia. So, in a way, now it's, like, Bashir's on the other foot.
1: Yeah, and, and he... Clearly finds it a little bit uncomfortable too. Yeah. the The fan theory of Garrick and Bashir having a sort of like homosexual undertone to their relationship, I th- I think there's something to it. I mean, I could see definitely get it from Garrick, but I don't really recall anything that gave to say that you know Bashir is interested that, in Garrick that way. Yeah, he he's not as overt about it. I I think that the fact that he doesn't outright reject him is maybe maybe says something.
0: I think maybe it's also because he's like you know he's so young and I think part of him like thinks oh I'm wow this cool spy is like wants to talk with me so I think if, even if he's not like sexually attracted to like Garrick I think he he still like he wants to hang out with Garrick he still finds it cool because we do learn later that he has kind of like a thing for you know he likes the whatever James Bond like thing he likes to play in the holodeck so we later learn that Bashir does have like interest in spies.
1: I wonder how much Bashir's later obsession with spy stories actually ends up being from his relationship with Garrick.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a chicken and egg question. Like, did is part of his Garrick because he's into spies, or did he come into spies because of Garrick? Yeah, it's a good introduction. And it's, it's actually it's the only time we see him this season for some reason. Oh, really?
1: Yeah, we don't see him again
0: until season two with, uh, with the Cardassian Orphans.
1: Interesting. It's odd that they would establish a character like this so early on, and
0: yeah, because he's—it's not like a case where it's like he was tend to be one off. And they liked him, and they brought him back. It seems like he definitely seems like he's being established. So it's like he's going to be like a recurring character rather than a one-off character. That they just like Wayu, where he was like sent to be one-off, but they everyone loved him and saw how great he was, and so they brought him back. It seems like that it was planned from the start for Garrick to be
1: a recurring character. Yeah. So I wonder why they just didn't bring him back for season two. I guess maybe they knew they were going to make more seasons.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think they. And also, maybe they. I don't know. Maybe they didn't. They couldn't think of anything. Yeah, you know, I don't know.
1: It is kind of weird, but but
0: yeah. So we don't see Gareth for a while, but after that, we see him fairly consistently. I think.
1: The other Cardassian on this episode, Dinar, he's more of a typical. He, yeah, he's more of a typical Cardassian. He's he's just kind of like gruff, and I I don't know what the right word is, but he's they're 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 all just kind of like asshole. yeah assholes.
0: It is, I guess, technically the first time like we see our heroes work with the Cardassians. Like at the end, Yimbo, bet he doesn't really can't really do much because oh I can't reach him in time, but I, but I still like asking for him. I guess it's kind of technically the first time.
1: Yeah, so that's that's a good olive branch. It's kind of an interesting character because, first of all, his name is Danar, which is very similar to the character's name Damar later on. Oh, and yeah. I think that's just kind of like the pattern. Also, Penar. Yeah. I, I think it's kind of like the pattern that they've established with Cardassian names is that they have this sort of Dada or like Baba or this this, this sort of structure in their names where it's like consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel, consonant, like Garrick Dukat,
0: yeah, and they tend to be like yeah, they they do seem to be kind of like short blunt names, like two syllable. well, like, you know, like the Majorans like where they have like long, they can have well some of them have like long, like the guy in the last episode like who I part because it's, he's only in that episode but I, like I can't remember his name. It's partly cuz I think it's so long. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't matter. Where if like, you know, if a short could ask "Okay, I can remember that."
1: Yeah, and the actor who portrays Dinar in this episode, I looked him up, Vaughn Armstrong. Yeah, he's in a bunch of other Star Treks.
0: He's appeared like in a bunch of roles, and I guess his most famous recurring was on Enterprise. He was uh their Admiral Forrest.
1: Yeah, he was a he was a few characters on the Enterprise. He was a few characters on Voyager even on TNG, and he actually plays another Cardassian later on, Seskel, at the end of the series, uh, in, at the end of DS9. I
0: kind of wonder why they ca- when they cast him, they just said, well, this is, just make him Dark Heel, like, just change the name. Because I <laughs> thought it would be neat, since that was like the end, this is like the beginning of the series, and the that was like pretty much at the end of the series, so it would have been a nice little
1: bookend. Yeah, I, d- I don't know why they they didn't do that.
0: I mean, they, they probably haven't forgotten about him by then.
1: I always kind of wondered whether casual fans noticed the actor recycling that happened in Star Trek, where they would have an actor who would play a bunch of different aliens on even one season of the show, and maybe it's just me having seen so much Star Trek that I can pick out these actors. But I wonder if people, if normal people could tell, oh, that's that guy that I just saw two episodes ago.
0: Probably some could. It probably depends on how well you can recognize, like, features under all that makeup. Yeah, because, you know, see, like, you know, you have to tell, oh, about the same guy as a, some humans. but I think he mostly plays like, you know, Klingons and Cardassians. And yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, he was the Romulan in that one in the first season, one, the one they like managed to call him. Right. So, yeah, but he's and I guess he'll show up later. Um, I guess this is also the first. Well, I guess technically Captain McCarr was the first, but I guess since that he was like the star. I'm thinking more. We have the who I guess, are the first of a couple of TNG recurring characters who are going to show up this season. I mean, I think you definitely get the sense they were probably added later. Like, they don't have that much to do, relatively. Ever been, like, you know, the contact or whatever, to just sell.
1: Did they show up in DS9 later on? I don't think so.
0: but no. we do, like, later see their um Toral, you know. Yeah, we in, see their in, brother. The yeah, they die, like, because they died in generation, so they would have been right. dead, like, you know, mid-season three, so. Yeah, that makes sense. I just have to you thinking. Like, it does seem kind of weird that go forbids like Odo from arresting them because I mean I guess you know part of the Klingons and the Bajor they might not have a treaty yet but it's still like a federation station so I feel like he would have been justified in you know arresting it's not like they just like did some minor crime I mean they yeah they they yeah they started the civil war Tried to like switch the Federation's greatest ally over to the Romulans, so it's not like stole some gum or something. I mean, I think they <laughs> would have just. And also, if he did arrest them, the Enterprise wouldn't have been destroyed. Yeah, probably. Well, at least not Ben. I mean, I guess it probably would eventually have been destroyed, but well, I don't know. I guess some ships retire.
1: Yeah. So yeah, I agree. I wh- why didn't they do something?
0: Yeah, I thought maybe like Cisco wants them to stay alive because he wants to see Hoover meeting.
1: Yeah, I guess that makes sense.
0: So that might be it. It still kind of seems weird, but because I feel like definitely they, you know, would have been justified. And I wonder how a. I don't know. You think the Klingon, you Gauron, was pissed when he found out? Like they had the Duras sisters there, and they just let them go.
1: Yeah. The, the, honestly, since you pointed that out, it, it makes no sense. Even from the first scene where they're confronting them for st- still having their weapons, like why didn't they just say, "Oh, you're the Duras sisters"? I hope you want to be imprisoned for the rest of your lives. Uh, what do you think of the Duras sisters? You, you like I, them? I, I like the Duras sisters in TNG. I thought it was nice to see strong women alien characters who were not love interests for members of the crew.
0: Yeah, they're definitely not like. I mean, I guess they're sexy, but they're not like, you know, like kind of like what traditionally, like the evil, sexy women are. Like, they're very, you know, they're not dainty or like hanging, or, or like, they don't like just rely on seduction. They seem like very, they could physically like fight someone.
1: Yeah, they just seem like they're just regular Klingons that happen to be women.
0: Yeah. Do you get the – I don't know when the last time you watched um, Redemption, the two-parter, was, but I was kind of wondering. Do you think they were sleeping with Sela, like, during that whole thing?
1: Remind me who Sela is again. You
0: know, the – what's her name? Natasha is like, half-Romulan daughter. She was, like, behind the thing in that two-parter. She was, like, representing the Romulans.
1: I mean, I don't know. I maybe Did they, did they imply that that was going on?
0: No, I don't know if it's applied or t- I don't know. I, I think it may just be me thinking just because like oh maybe- I guess it was both. Like maybe it's just because of my the patriarchy has programmed me to think that you know a strong woman must be a lesbian. But it's just seeing like, all three of them, I kind of get the sense like you know maybe they were a temper. I could see them that they might have slept together because I assume they must they must have been hanging out. Like I mean they must have regular contact to like you know hash out the whole civil war coup d'etat thing. So they would have opportunities.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it seems possible. I wish they could have been a little bit more blatant about stuff like that in this era.
0: Well, yeah, it's like how, you know, like we said, we mentioned Garrick, you know, he seems gay, but, like, they don't ever say it. And I think, like, they never had, like, the Next Generation era, they never... Yeah, I think, like, maybe, like, Miss Sulu in the new movie, like, when we see him with the... That might be the first, I think that... Well, I guess we the mirror universe, but,
1: I mean, that kind of, like, not good. And the mirror universe, you know, is evil, so... Yeah, the mirror universe being the place where people get to be gay seems kind of sketchy.
0: Yeah, I mean, we get like I think we get like several episodes like, where you know obviously rejoin with Jedzia and her trail lover from our life, and then that episode of TNG where Riker falls in love with the androgynous alien. Yeah, but yeah, but they never had like a real outright like oh positive gay character. I heard, like, apparently I've been reading, like, about, like, early season one, and um Dave Gerald, who, he worked on the original series, he wrote Patrol with Tribbles, and then he was, like, an early writer on TNG. I guess, I don't know if you heard this, but he had, like, an, he wanted to do an episode for season one that would have been an AIDS analogy it would have like i guess two not really characters but just extras but it would have been indicated that they were they were both men that they were in a relationship with each other and it got and it, according to him i guess rick bourbon who you know was kind of like the after was kind of ronberry's successor was a homophobe so maybe i mean obviously it was a 90s so it was like would have been more of a i don't think it's like now where i don't think it would be a big deal
1: where it's, yeah it was a different time
0: yeah where it's like no longer we're i think gay rights is pretty much i feel like one like you know i think you know, pretty much only the. Be inve- be, be, I think only, like, evangelicals really care now. I think even most, like, non evangelical Republicans don't care anymore. Right. And even Trump doesn't really give a shit. He's not, like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's kind of like. um... So, you know, at least some things are better.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was funny that Bashir was pretty dense about the spy stuff at first. Like, when Garrick was like, you should pay attention to their outfits. Like, look at those very interesting outfits up there. <laughs> and. Bashir was clearly like, what are you talking about? He's very naive at the beginning. Yeah, he, early Bashir is very... Well, I guess
0: they wanted to play like, oh, he's young and naive.
1: Yeah. And later on in the episode when Garrick says, I want you to buy a new suit tonight at exactly 2055. He, it takes Garrick just spelling it out for him for him to understand. Even like I think Francisco needs to like, order him saying, like, I think you need a new suit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I thought it was pretty funny.
0: Yeah. So maybe we should talk about Kira since oh, we did talk about Kira. I just think it's like this was like a Kira episode.
1: I liked how Kira seemed to soften a little bit uh, toward the Federation. I, I thought that the implied relationship that she had with Tana, the Bajoran bad guy in this episode, oh yeah, was a little strange. It never gets said how they know each other and they call each other by their names by their last names or their their family names and it it's like they just made that relationship up in like a really light way that doesn't it didn't really seem satisfying to me i mean i
0: guess the idea is just that they knew each other they were both in the resistance apparently like an earlier draft like they were like love they were former lovers but i guess um, the producer felt that was a cliche which you know kind of is would have changed the episode or given more depth if they were like ex-lovers instead of ex-fighters or comrades at arms or whatever yeah it is interesting because i think like i guess one thing that ds9 is interesting is that kira Lea refers to office as, as terrorists and then i kind of like found it interesting like considering now because i feel like now we tend to like view you know it's like oh if we like them or if they're good at you know they're freedom fighters if they're it's only if they're bad that they're terrorists so i yeah. kind of like feel interesting that you know throughout the series like characters are quite you know nonchalant like here's like oh yeah i'm a terror yeah we were terrorists you know i'm kind of like about like you know oh our hero was a terrorist i guess it amazing because like you know i mean i imagine it's like you know because obviously this was pre-9-11 so i imagine it may have been maybe like the word was like a little less loaded than it is now where you know obviously we seem to have these things though know, every couple of weeks we have some kind of incident
1: yeah i mean i I think the word still applies to what Kira was doing. Like her, oh, yeah. her whole, their whole thing was basically to make the Cardassians afraid of them, rather than not afraid of them. Oh which, yeah, I agree. which I is just, what was going yeah.
0: on. My point is, it seems like usually, like in these kind of things in movies and and also in real life, when like we want like when it's a terrorist that we are supposed they want like the, you know we're supposed to so like they usually say oh they're a rebel or a freedom fighter. You know, we usually use refer to them as that rather than you know. But again, we I mean, usually we, like, seem to reserve terrorists for, like, you know, people who are harming us they, or, like, the government or whatever doesn't want us to like. So I just – that's very – that's something that I've show that interests me, that Kira is, like, you know, unapologetically referred to herself and her – you know, the majority of resistance as, like, you know, terrorist.
1: Yeah. I One thing I noticed – and this happens all the time in Deep Space Nine, and I think it probably becomes a running joke on the part of the writers where – there's this thing that happens in the episode where Odo makes this analogy – when Odo and Kira are talking about what she should do about this situation, Odo makes this analogy and says the Geranian ostrich hides itself by sticking its head underwater sometimes <laughs> until it drowns. And this is the first time they do this thing where they they relate something to the audience by comparing it to like an alien something or other.
0: Yeah, that was weird. This big whole, like, I guess it's like, you know, it's supposed to be in space, but it seems like it's like added an alien name. But I feel like in real life, we, we don't say like, oh, he's strong as an Eastern or a Asian ox. We just say, oh, he's strong as an ox or he's strong as, a... we don't like, specify what type of gorilla, like what type of animal uh, species knows. We just say like, you know, or like, you know, he's slippery as a snake, slippery as an eel or, you know, he's a yeah. snake or, you know, whatever. We don't really like, prefer to him as, I guess maybe like if you're in the universe and there's so many kinds of animals. So, you know, maybe it's like, oh, that
1: one's particularly. Yeah, but it still doesn't really make any sense because if like he could have just said ostrich because, you know, this other ostrich, this Geranian ostrich hides itself. It hides its head under the water. And ostriches on Earth hide their heads, so maybe that implies that... I don't know, they hide them underwater, though? I mean, no, but under the sand, or whatever. That's, I mean, if if the head-hiding behavior is characteristic to ostriches, no matter what planet they're from, like, never mind Uh the fact that ostriches can be from multiple planets, like, why not just say ostrich, because if that applies to all of them, then... That's just say ostrich Yeah, maybe it's like sea lion or something where it's like we're just using it where it's like
0: it's not an ostrich but it's like close it's just and it's analogous enough
1: or maybe the geranium ostrich is so ostrichy that it's like the de facto standard for ostrichness throughout the yeah. galaxy
0: it, did he say like it, it holds its head until it dies or something yeah but I think well, that maybe that's like, I don't think ostriches on earth like I never heard of them I don't know I haven't heard of that that they hold their heads until they die so maybe
1: I don't know it probably happens but, yeah, they do this throughout the series, like yeah. the Danabian all- hawk swooping down for its prey or whatever. And I think the writers do it intentionally as a joke.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's just, you know, when it's because it's a space show, so they feel like they have to. it can't just be like a normal animal. It has to be some kind of weird alien
1: creature. Yeah. I like the fact that at least the Klingons, when they talk about animals, it's always a Targ. And yeah. And at least that's not something that we have. I think that's about it for this episode. Join us next time for us talking about the next two episodes of DS9. Babel, which is about everybody losing the ability to talk, and Captive Pursuit, which is, I think, one of the best episodes in season one, which is about this guy Tosk who shows up and... It's being hunted. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so again, thanks for listening, and hopefully you'll continue. Bye!
1: Bye.